0: Hey everyone, you're listening to an Axe Church Sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axechemist.org or come check us out on a Sunday. Alright, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. Morning! It's good to see you guys here, the 11 o'clock crew. Hope you got to sleep in or... Whatever it is you were doing before 11, I know the uh, Seahawks are playing next week at 10 a.m., so I know which ones of you I'll see at the 9 o'clock next week. That's okay. But I want to welcome you here. Thank you for coming. If you're new, we especially want to welcome you. I hope you get a chance to talk to some of these folks. They are special people. They are people who love Jesus and who Jesus loves. They're people who have come from, they got all kinds of different stories. they got all kinds of different places where they've come from. They have wisdom, they have things to offer, they have trials, they have troubles, they have uh, needs, they have uh, you know, all the things that you would expect from people who are living real life, and, and this is a group of people who tends to be very authentic and honest about those things, and wants to do life with you and come alongside you and make you part of this community and part of this family. So I hope that you'll take the opportunity to see what God has for you here in this place, if you're new, so thank you for being here. I got some admitting to do this morning, the truth is, is that you know, in my life, in a lot of ways, I've kind of been a joke. I've kind of been a judgmental jerk many, many, many times in my life. I've looked at other people, people who had some kind of maybe very visible problem, and I've talked and acted as if I was superior to them, better than them. I've said things and done things that dishonor God, that dishonor these people that he's made in his image and likeness. I've looked at homeless people and said, well, if they just get a job, they'd be able to figure it out. I've looked at poor and miserable people and blamed their struggles on their own actions or their own behavior. I've looked on the weak and blamed them for their weakness. I've looked on the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the sick and the imprisoned with judgment and with a hard heart many times. I have no righteousness in myself. And I don't deserve to be used by God for anything. Least of all to have the honor of studying and teaching the word of God. But God is gracious. God is merciful. And he's shown me grace and mercy and allowed me to be his servant and his child, even though I've had terrible attitudes in the past. It breaks my heart to think about my thoughts and my actions and my lack of compassion, my lack of mercy that I've shown. But it heals my heart and it fills my heart to know that I am forgiven and free in Jesus Christ and that Jesus has paid the price for my sin. But without that, I'd be lost. That I've been made pure and clean in his righteousness because of his mercy and grace. And now my calling, my honor, my desire, my life can be aimed at becoming pure in heart and holy as He is, at becoming merciful and gracious and kind as he is. And we've been in this series for a number of weeks called "Right Side Up." And it's been a serious study in Jesus Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapters five through seven. It's a wonderful uh, group of Christ's teachings. And we've been studying and sort of understanding what the kingdom of God is like. What is it like? What is is Christ's kingdom like? What is the kingdom of God like? And we've been seeing how different it is from life in the upside-down world, right? The life that the world and culture is pushing on us is upside-down from the life that Jesus Christ is showing us in his kingdom life what we're learning through all of this. And so um, if you have your Bible, you can pull it out, go to Matthew chapter five. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I want to read through just this first section. We've we've covered some of this already, but I want to just kind of read through this section. It's called the Beatitudes. It's about these blessings that Jesus uh, talks about. And we'll start at verse one. It says this, "'And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, "'and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. "'Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, "'for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.'" Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now we've studied a number of these blessings already, and Lord willing, we'll study another couple of them this morning. But one thing I want us to keep in mind as we go through these things is how far off they are from the ways of the world, how far off they are from the things that the world and culture is constantly pushing on us. I don't know if you noticed in that list, but there's no blessing in there for being intelligent. There's no blessing in there for being good looking or rich or famous. There's no blessing. There's no blessed are those with lots of Facebook friends. No blessed are those with many a Twitter follower, saith the Lord, right? No blessing for having the best job. No blessing for having the nicest car or perfect abs. Bummer, because, you know, I'm working on that. They're deep. They're underneath. It's uh they're there though, I promise. Um, there's no blessing for any of that stuff, right? There's no blessing for being the most talented, there's no blessing for being the most liked. That's not the things that Jesus is saying that you're blessed for. And yet the world. It's telling you that all of those things are the things that will bring you joy and happiness and blessing. But none of them are mentioned as sources of blessing in the scripture. And the people who can tell you the most honestly how much those things are not blessings are the people who have all those things. And oftentimes you'll talk to them or you'll see them or they'll do an interview or they'll write an autobiography and they'll tell you that they had all of those things. The car, the money, the fame, the fortune, the abs, the whole nine yards. And none of it brought them joy. None of them were the kinds of things that brought them joy. Of course, Jesus knows that, and that's why he tells us that's not where blessings are. Those are secondary things. The world is crying out to you, right? Like one of those weird guys at the carnival, kind of scary guys. Come over and play this game, you know, and you're just like, okay, I'll do it. Because I want to, you know, win. Which I usually do, just so you know. Um, they're crying out to you, get that job. Get that job everybody thinks you should get. Get that job that, that your parents say is a good thing or that the culture says is a good thing. Try this diet, right? Try the keto, paleo, South Beach, I don't know, what chocolate diet, whatever the, these different diets are. Try that. That'll bring you happiness. Try this app. This app is going to make things so much smoother for you. You're going to become so efficient, you can literally just be on your phone all day so efficient. Buy this product, right? Get this thing. Now, I don't know if it's true, but I think that Facebook is listening to me. Now, I'm not, I'm not you know, a conspiracy theorist, generally speaking, but I think they're listening to me talk because Tiffany and I, my wife, and I will have a conversation, and we'll be talking about something like about how Glenn Cook looks good in shorts, let's say, okay? So we're not the only ones. All right. You all have talked about that, too. And the next time I'll open Facebook and look through, they're advertising shorts to me. But I hadn't, you know, I'm not looking for shorts. I wasn't trying to buy shorts. It's just all, the only thing I've ever said about shorts was Glenn Cook's shorts. And I've seen stuff like that happen that's really weird. Some of you are like, yeah, that's happened to me, too, right? I mean, you guys have probably seen this happen. Or you're not on Facebook because you're a good person, right? No, that's not what a good person does. The world wants to sell me happiness. They want to sell you happiness. Why? So they can get enough money from me or you to go buy their own happiness. So that those people who they're buying happiness from can get enough money to go try to buy their happiness. This doesn't seem like a pyramid scheme at all, right? Happiness is, just keeps going up the ladder. It's like we're all selling essential oils or $5 jewelry or something like that. The essential oil people were in the other service. They laughed harder. Um It's all right. We are constantly made to feel like we're not pretty enough or handsome enough or wealthy enough, healthy enough, or liked enough, or young enough, right? It's been hard, but I've become very comfortable with getting older, with my age. I mean, 25 feels good for me, right? Um, No? Not not by, thank you. We're told by our culture, that we have all of these material needs. And that if we just go and fill those material needs, we're going to be happy. We're going to be joyful, right? We're going to be blessed. If we just do that, just take care of all those things. But Jesus is saying something totally different. He's saying, look, as to your needs, yeah, I know what you need. I'm God. I'm the one who's making sure that you have breath to breathe your next breath with. I'm completely aware of what's, what you need. And I'm going to provide those things that you need. But what I'm saying you need to look at is not providing your material needs. It's not providing for the next cheap pleasure. It's not providing for those kinds of things. But that what you should be putting your time into is truth and spiritual growth and purity of heart. Those are the things that will truly bless you. These other things are totally secondary. Don't worry about material poverty. Be poor in spirit. Understand your absolute need for God and his mercy and forgiveness. Don't chase happiness that fades away. Instead, be mournful over your sin, and I will comfort you. Don't worry about putting yourself first. Put God first. Put others above yourself, and trust God in meekness. Don't hunger for weak pleasures, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be merciful and pure in heart and find blessing in persecution. Right? It's tough to have the world. The world isn't going to sell that one. Persecution, anyone? 99 99 It's going to make you happy. No one thinks that persecution is going to make them happy. No one thinks that persecution is going to bring them joy. And yet Jesus is here saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted. It's a little upside down. To the world and yet it's completely right side up for the kingdom because the world doesn't want any of this they might say the best thing they might say is that's good for you you do you that you know go ahead and mourn and and be merciful and and be persecuted and whatever that's that sounds wonderful for you for me I'll take the money I'll take the health and the fame I'll take all of those things. I'll take the new iPhone. I think those are the things that'll make me happy because the world is lost in darkness. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus is showing us here the light and calling us to be the light of the world because the world is upside down, but Jesus wants to turn his church right side up in the world. So we study what Jesus is teaching here. We cannot lose sight of something he's definitely telling us something positive. We ought to do these things. We ought to have these hard attitudes. But he's also telling us something negative. He's saying we ought not to do what the world wants us to do. He's excluding the things of the world as he tells us the things of God. See, because you can't have both. You can't be a Christ follower and be doing the things that he commands and be doing the things the world wants. You've got to pick your side. You can't hunger and thirst for things that are wrong and hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? You can't be poor in spirit and recognize your need for God and mourn over your sin and at the same time pretend like sins aren't a big deal, right? You can't go your own way and do your own thing and not worry about other people and still be merciful, Those things can't happen. So he's saying, not only am I telling you to do these things, but I'm telling you to reject the world and its values. Stop holding on to them. Stop holding on to them. And accept the kingdom of God in those ways, the narrow way. Now, keeping that in mind, let's dive into a couple verses. Matthew 5, 7 through 8, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The blessings are in being merciful and in pure in heart. And the promises are that we'll obtain mercy and that we'll see God. Those are good promises. So good promises. And let me tell you something so that we're all very clear. You definitely, we definitely will not see God without God's mercy. If we don't obtain mercy, we are not going to see God. If we don't have a pure heart, we're not going to want to see him. Titus 3, 3-7 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is through the mercy of God in Jesus Christ that we have peace with God and get to see God rather than be separated from his presence. It's one or the other. You're going to get to see God or you're going to be separated from his presence. And the only way we're seeing God is by his mercy. He's saying, you be merciful and you'll obtain mercy. And we need to obtain that mercy. We need to obtain that mercy. So how much then, when he says, blessed are the merciful, how much should we show mercy? How much should we show mercy to our neighbor? Some lawyer in the Bible. Yes, they had him back then too. Sin has always been around. (laughs) Asked Jesus a question. He was trying to kind of justify himself, sort of trying to... um, test Jesus. And he says, you know, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself and all that good stuff, but who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor really? You know, certainly not everybody. Certainly not people I don't like, right? So who's my neighbor, Jesus? And so Jesus tells him a story, a story called the Good Samaritan about this Jewish guy who is leaving Jerusalem and heading to Jericho on a journey. And as he gets down the road, some thieves come, and they rob him. They take his. They, they strip him of his clothes. They take all of his stuff, and they beat him down till he's half dead on the side of the road, left there, stripped, beaten, half dead. And down the road comes walking one of this guy's Jewish brothers, a religious man, a priest, who was walking down the road, and he sees this guy on the side of the road, bleeding, half dead, having been robbed. And instead of going over to the guy and helping him, he literally goes to the other side of the road and crosses by and ignores him and does nothing. And Jesus says, well, then another guy comes, another one of this guy's Jewish brothers, a Levite, a religious man, part of the class of priests. And he sees this guy and he recognizes him, recognizes his need, but he does the same thing, goes to the other side of the road, ignores the guy and walks on. Then this guy comes by, this Samaritan. And you got to remember the audience. Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish men here. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They couldn't stand one another. The Jews thought these Samaritans were half-breeds. They were a joke. They were terrible. They were, you know, whatever. They didn't, they didn't want to touch a Samaritan. They didn't want to be around Samaritans. They couldn't stand them. So when he says the Samaritan comes by, these guys are not thinking this guy's going to be the hero of the story. But as the Samaritan comes by, he sees this guy, this Jewish guy, who so he knows how they feel about each other, Jews and Samaritans, and yet he sees them in need. He has compassion and mercy, he goes up to this guy and salves his wounds with wine and oil and gets the guy and puts him on his, on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he gets him there, gets him all situated, gets him in bed, gets the innkeeper to take care of this guy, pays him money and leaves and says, look, whatever this guy needs, I'll pay you whatever it costs. When I, on my way back, I'll, I'll continue to pay for this guy. Completely takes care of this guy in his need because he had mercy on this poor guy. And Jesus asked the lawyer in uh, Luke 10, 36-37, he says, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. See, Jesus didn't care about the first two men's religiosity that they were religious. Maybe these guys were on their way to do some great religious thing, to perform some sacrifice or to, or to do some religious good work, to check something off their list that made them look good. Maybe they thought that their religious good works were all they needed. And because they had done so many things for, for the church, for the temple, for the whatever, that they didn't need to worry about this particular guy. They could let this one go. They didn't have to show mercy on this particular guy because, of course, they were pretty holy, right? They were pretty religious. But Jesus does not have good things to say about those first two people. The hero of the story is this Samaritan because he showed mercy. And Jesus is, in chapter 9 of Matthew, he's he's actually meeting Matthew, his disciple, for the first time. Verses nine through 13 says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, these Pharisees, they were the super religious people. Super religious, that's all they talked about. What's the law? What does it say? What are the implications of that? How do we do this? We'll work it all out. Everybody looked at them. They wanted to be looked at as these super religious, super high up people. They looked down on other people. They'd make these loud prayers in the marketplace. They were the the top dog religious people, okay? That's who these guys were. And they were so concerned about checking their religious boxes, doing the right sacrifices, doing whatever, that they did not have any mercy They were too busy thinking about themselves as better than everyone else. And Jesus calls them out straight up and tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If all your religious stuff and all your box checking to make yourself look good is all you've got, and when you see that there's a sinner in need, you don't care about that person. You wonder why I could defile myself by eating with sinners. They're the ones who need mercy. Tax collectors were not looked upon well. I mean, they're still not looked upon that great, right? But this was really bad. Tax collectors were known to be essentially thieves. They would overcharge and they would steal from people. And, and it was doubly bad because these were Jewish people who were working for the Romans who had occupied Judea. So it was their enemies the people basically were traitors and worked for them. Tax collectors were, were not great folks. But Jesus thought, they need mercy. These sinners need Mercy. These Pharisees were constantly missing that. They were so concerned that they would tithe, give 10% of everything they had all the way down. They would literally go out on the roof to their herb garden and get 10% of the mint and the cumin and whatever and make sure that they tithe all that little bit while at the same time, Jesus tells them, missing the greater parts of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's where they were. Jesus doesn't want you to be super religious. He doesn't want you to try to look good to other people. He wants your heart to be pure, and he wants you to be merciful towards others. Mercy is an essential part of godly wisdom. You can read that in the book of James. It's also a spiritual gift to be used for the benefit of others. You can read about that in Romans 12. Mercy is fundamental, essential, For the Christ follower. But here's the rub. It's missing in many of us. It's missing in many of us in the Christian church today. Maybe not in this room. I don't know. But when I look at the church, particularly the church in the United States, we have more and more and more started missing mercy. We're missing mercy. I recently uh, read a Twitter war between two Christian leaders. First one tweeted something, and he basically, he was tweeting about uh, some things he had heard about uh, the, some horrible conditions for mi- migrant children in these detention centers or whatever. And I don't want to argue about whether they're really horrible, whether they're not. He thought they were. And he tweeted and basically said, nothing political, wasn't calling out any political leader, wasn't getting into politics at all. He's just saying these these children and their parents, these folks are made in the image and likeness of God and we ought to have mercy for them was the essence of what he was saying. We ought to feel merciful towards them. And another Christian leader called this guy out personally, made personal attacks, belittled him, belittled him as a person, belittled him, said said he didn't have the right to speak on anything. Just then all these other people got involved. And it got super political and super whatever. And it was an absolute tragedy in front of the whole world. You know, what you do on the internet, by the way, people can see it. In front of the whole world, they have this big fight. And all the first guy was trying to do was say, whether he was even right or wrong, he was just trying to say, we should have mercy for people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And instead, it became this whole thing. Where's our mercy? Mercy should be a clear fruit. Of those who are poor in spirit who understand the grace and mercy that's been given to them. And when we're talking about mercy, look, I, I don't want, I don't care about the politics of the issue. I don't say I don't care about it. I don't want to talk about the politics of these issues, immigration or or you know, a, a, any of these other issues, right? Homelessness and whatever, all the things that we that we fight about politically. I don't I don't care about the politics, okay? But when Christians personally Look at people and talk about people as other. We don't care about them. We don't need to take care of them. We're not responsible for them. I don't understand that. I don't understand that from Christians. Maybe the government thinks that. That's the government's thing. But for as us as individuals, as Christians, that's not who we are. It makes no sense. The mark of Christians, of Christ followers, has always been their generosity and care for others. Always. It has always been that. In the early church, the Christians were known... You know, in, in the first few centuries of the church, they were known for going into these cities in the Roman world where plagues had struck and people were sick and dying. And the people, their own families and their own neighbors and the people of that city, they would flee away. And the Christians would go in and they would care for these people and they would sit by their bedside, and they would nurse them and they would sit with, by them while they died or help nurse them. And, and most likely they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them but they'd be there, and some of these Christians paid with their lives. They would also get those diseases and get sick too and die. But they were showing mercy. They were showing mercy. And it was absolutely unheard of. It's absolutely unheard of. Because for everybody else, these sick people were not their problem. But for the believers, the Christians, they loved and cared for these people and their needs. Compassion and mercy and caring hearts. And that those actions are part of what moved the world and changed the world. They're part of what drew so many people through the Holy Spirit, to know Jesus Christ. That's part of the deal. The Roman emperor Julian, Julian the apostate. he did not like Christians. He didn't like them at all. And he didn't like them because they kept winning people away from the Roman pagan pantheon of gods and all this kind of stuff and, and the Roman way, right? Instead, these people were all now following Jesus. All these people were starting to come to Christ and follow Jesus. And he couldn't stand Christians because of it. But he wrote this. He said, Christianity advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should render them. Julian was upset because people were becoming Christians because Christians were so merciful, not just to their own folks or their own kind or their own city or whatever, but to everybody. They showed mercy to everybody. And because of that, people were flocking to Jesus. And this guy couldn't stand it. I'm not talking about public political policy. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. I don't care about that. This is just a country, okay? It's just a country in the world. The government, it does its own thing, but this is not our home. Our primary thought needs to be on the kingdom of God because we're aliens and strangers in this world. So I'm not, I don't really care about all that stuff. I just care about God's kingdom. I just care about what Jesus has called us to do. This is what it says. Therefore, this is Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were aliens. We were separated from God. We were without, people without hope, without promise, and God brought us in through his mercy. I, I have heard way too many Christians and Christian leaders who have gotten so wrapped up in policy, which I'm not saying is unimportant, but they've gotten so wrapped up in policy that that's become what they're known for, instead of being known for primarily being Christ followers, instead of being known for primarily having a merciful and compassionate heart. I don't care about the, the political debate on either side. There are Christians on every side of the political spectrum. There are Christians in this room on every side of the, Christian, uh, of the political spectrum. You're all welcome here, okay? That's not what I, wanna, what I want us to fo- focus on. I don't care who's correct or right about all these political things, but I'm concerned with this, that when we deal with issues, whatever they are, that our words are seasoned with salt, as we studied a couple years ago, I mean years ago, a couple weeks ago. Whatever our position is on a bunch of different issues, the thing that people remember about our words and our actions needs to be that we're merciful, that our hearts are showing mercy. Okay, I'm not talking about common sense planning and whatever the government should do and whatever. I don't care. That's the government. That's them. That's their thing. You got to remember something that while we are. Uh, from most of us from Washington or Oregon, and we are from the United States, most of us, maybe somebody's visiting from another country, but most of us are from here, right? And we are specifically from a particular city and we are from all these kinds of things. Those, those are all true about us, but our primary allegiance is to Christ. We are not in search of political power. We're not. And when we get, when we get lost in, in the world of influence and power and political uh, desire, which some people do, some Christian leaders do, they get overly focused on that. What happens is we start missing things like truly justice and mercy and faith, and we start thinking about things like how do we get our point across? And I'm not saying that your point's not important or our points aren't important. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're here for. We are not primarily here for political power. When the church had lots of political power, bad things happened. There's a reason why you all aren't sitting in the Catholic church today. That's what happened, right? And I'm not saying anything about our Catholic brothers and sisters. That's not the point. But, but 500 years ago, it got pretty bad because they became very, very powerful politically. That's not our goal. Should we care about politics? Should we vote? Should we try to do the right thing? Should we try to use scripture for that? Absolutely, yes. Yes, 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 fully. But what should be our first thing that we think about? As individuals, as followers of Christ, as a church, we should be thinking, what has Jesus called us to do? What does mercy look like? What does mercy look like? We were saved because of God's mercy on our pitiful lives, right? The lives that we've lived with our broken twisted hearts this is what Jesus says about a heart for out of the heart, this is Matthew 15, 19 for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications thefts, false witness blasphemies those aren't good things those aren't good things that was what was in our heart but we were saved because God had mercy on us in our pitiful state he had mercy on us and we need to have mercy when you see someone struggling, when you see somebody poor living in poverty and filth, when you see somebody struggling with addiction, when you see somebody struggling with, you know, homelessness or, or they're living outside God's plan for their life in something, they got some huge sin problem in their life, right? They got sexual sin, they, they're stealing from work, they're, you know, they're, they're committing adultery, they're doing whatever, whatever it is, and you see this thing, and, and your first thought is judgment. We need to change that. Our first thought needs to be mercy. Mercy and love. People are struggling in their relationships and their family life, their finances. Our first reaction needs to be mercy. I know that we could all tell people how they should live. I know it. I know that if they all just did what we did, they'd be, everything would be good, right? And you might even be right. You may even be right. You may have it all figured out. What does that have to do with whether you should have mercy? Because none of us were living right. We just read what our hearts were like. And Jesus had to save. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So if any of you came in here today thinking, I don't mind going to church, but I don't really need it because I'm so righteous, you're not. Not one. Not one except Jesus Christ. We are only righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, period. That's where your righteousness comes from. We need to be seeing people as made in the image and likeness of God. We need not to elevate religion and sacrifice over mercy. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are oppressed. There are people who are in sin all over the place. And our hearts need to be merciful. And I know many of our hearts are. I really do. Especially on the ground level. Just us at this church here in Vancouver, Washington. Hopefully most of us are. But I am starting to have my heart broken more and more and more by the way that the church is being viewed by culture. The way that especially young people are seeing the church more and more and more is in terms of the things that we say that aren't merciful. I say we because we are all part of the church. We're all part of the global church, of the universal church that's been going on since Pentecost and to the end of the world. Okay, we're all part of that. So when I say we, that's who I'm talking about. But particularly the church in the United States has gotten overly focused on things that tend to show a lack of mercy. And what that means is that people start not being drawn very much to Jesus because they see those who are representing Jesus as being unmerciful. It's not good. It's not good. We need to be praying for each other and for ourselves that we would show mercy. And again, I know for for some of us it's like, well, these are difficult issues and whatever, and they are. They're difficult issues, and I get it. And there are people all over the spectrum on a lot of issues that go on in the world, but when we speak, whatever we say about what practical solutions might be for a government or practical solutions might be for our city to deal with homelessness or this or that, whatever we say about those things, fine. Just make sure that what people hear first is that your heart goes out to those who are suffering. Is that your heart is with those who are in trouble. Is that you understand that you empathize as someone who has needed mercy yourself and who needs mercy every day. That they need mercy. If we do that, I think that God will draw people to himself through us. If we don't, I think we should expect people to be turned off. I'd much rather people were turned off because we were so merciful, like the Emperor Julian, than turned off because we were unmerciful. We need to be pure in heart. That means not that we have this big list like the Pharisees had, and that we're checking off. Hey, I did this, I did that. Haven't done this today. Haven't murdered anyone today. Haven't done this. What a good boy am I. That's not what pure and heart is about. It's about heart. What are you thinking about and when no one can see your thoughts? What are you doing when no one can see your actions? What does your heart look like? Because a pure heart will, will, be, will do all these other things. It'll mourn over sin. It'll recognize poverty of spirit. It'll be merciful. It'll be meek. It'll be all of those things. Pure hearts let us see God. Mercy lets us see God. I want to read a passage that, to me, for myself, you know, I would think for most Christians, if if this passage doesn't hit you pretty hard, I think you may be missing something about what it's saying. But this is from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This is about Jesus at the end as king when he's judging the world. He's judging the nations, is what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, "'Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. "'For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. "'I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. "'I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, "'naked, and you did not clothe me, "'sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also, "'Then they also will answer him, saying, "'Lord, when did we see you hungry?' or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. this is serious. Serious. He's not looking on your piety, okay? Jesus does not care. It's not into you making yourself look good before others. He's, he cares whether you are good to others. For judgment is without mercy. This is James 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Both of these groups of people call him Lord. You might notice that in the passage. But one of them They're going to hell because they may call him Lord, but it was just lip service. They had no compassion. They had no mercy. Praise God that he's merciful to us. I pray that the next time we see somebody in need of mercy, we show mercy. The next time we're thinking about whatever issue comes up, whatever we figure out is practical or whatever, that our first reaction is mercy. That the first thing that happens is our heart breaks for people. That our heart breaks for people. Maybe that person on the side of the road is somebody who you don't like or who doesn't like you. In the case of the Samaritan, the Jew, they're basically enemies. Maybe it's even your enemy. But does your heart go out of mercy even when your enemy suffers? Or do you cheer when your enemy suffers? Do you have mercy? The next time you see somebody struggling financially or someone wrongs you or someone is caught in some sin or someone is, is having difficulties, ask yourself, what does mercy look like here for my heart? Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not telling you to be unwise. Mercy doesn't mean, well, we should empty all the prisons. We should, everybody should just, Give all their stuff away to whoever and don't worry about whether it makes sense. I'm not saying any of that stuff. That's nonsense. It's not wisdom. That's not what Jesus was saying. But my heart should care. My heart should... Something should show that my heart is breaking for those who are suffering. And to the extent that it is wise, I should be serving and helping them. To the extent that it is wise, I should be doing that. Now, to be fair, these early Christians who were going into the plague-ridden cities... There wasn't a lot of worldly wisdom in that. A lot of them died. But their death was certainly used because many people came to Jesus when they saw the heart that existed among the believers. And that's what I want. That's all I want. I just want people to look at us and say, I see mercy, grace, truth, proper judgment, all of those things but I see mercy and I see pure hearts. We must be merciful and we must be pure in heart or we will not obtain mercy, which means we will not see God. And I don't think based on these scriptures that we want to see God unless we're merciful and pure in heart. C.S. Lewis says, and it's safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God for only the pure in heart want to. And he's right about that. I don't want to see God without having had my heart been made pure by Jesus Christ. And these are not things that you can do by yourself, by the way. These are not things that you can white knuckle your way to, having a merciful and pure heart and all the rest of that. For me, it's prayer, it's desiring, it's hungering and thirsty for righteousness, and it's a very long road of God having to beat me up and sand off the rough edges and and pierce my heart with truth and, and whatever. And he's still doing that to this day, and he'll be doing it probably until the day I die. It's not something I'm doing for myself. It's something the Holy Spirit is doing in me. But we have to desire it. This isn't isn't about making us feel guilty for places where we've been unmerciful or we haven't had a pure heart or we've messed up. That's not what this is about. This is about recognizing the value of it and having us desire to have it. That's what God wants from us. Seeking the things that are of above, not the things that the world wants us. For those of you who don't know Jesus, who are not Christ followers, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're, you know, having a difficult uh, time accepting something about it, I don't know, but we're here to answer those questions. But for those of you who are feeling the Holy Spirit drawing you to him, he's got mercy for you. We've got mercy for you because he had mercy on us. Today can be the day for you. Today's going to be the day that you choose to follow Christ. Choose to know him. Choose to walk with him. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's have the band come on up. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing and take an offering. Father, I just pray that you would show us what it looks like to have mercy, to have a pure heart. Show us what it looks like to love you and to love others. Show us what it looks like to... Go out into the world and face persecution and difficulty and struggle and have it be a blessing. God, help us to love each other and help us to love those in the world who are suffering. Let our mercy and our kindness and our love be something that draws people to you. Help us not to be religious and care about a million rules. Of course the rules are important. Of course we ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But let us not do it to look good to others. Let us do it because we're compelled by our love for you. Jesus, give us hearts that are pure. Let us be your hands and feet. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would put in us the kind of mercy that you would show this community, our neighbors, this area, these states, this world, that we would see many come to you that are drawn by the mercy and grace you've shown them through us. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would Comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.